problem with what we're eating is usually not what people may put into food that they've prepared at home. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to the Wallistic Doses podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Kane. If this is your first time tuning in, we have curated content provided by health and wellness providers that are a part of the Wallistic community. For more information, check out www.wallistic.com. Today's guest is an expert in culinary nutrition and food-based interventions, holding a degree from the Culinary Institute of America, a BS in food service management, and an MS in food science and nutrition, along with graduate certificates in dietetics from the University of Rhode Island and Brown University's teaching hospitals. She's also earned a PhD from Barry University studying spiritual factors which affect weight control maintenance currently maintaining a private practice in Roswell, Georgia, where she helps clients reach vibrancy and flourishing, not to mention being an avid exercise enthusiast and trains with running, biking, weightlifting, and yoga. I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. D. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm so happy you invited me to be a guest. Awesome. Glad you could carve out some time. So I just, uh, I wanted to start out one of the big things going on right now with social media and uh, people that are talking about nutrition is the Game Changer documentary. So it's for our listeners out there that aren't familiar with it, it's produced by James Cameron. And it's a documentary that is showing elite athletes and their relationship with plant-based diet and how uh, plant-based diet is beneficial. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, if you've seen it um, and, and what you thought about it. Well, I haven't seen it yet because I do not get Netflix. I, I don't know if I should admit that. People might turn the podcast off right away. Um, but I, I do know about it. And what I do know, when you look at a, an entirely plant-based, a plant-based diet and then a vegan diet, and a vegetarian diet are, are very different things. So we take the most extreme being a vegan. If you're a vegan athlete, a, an elite athlete, there's a very good chance in order to meet the needs for protein that the person is going to be consuming protein powder, plant-based protein powder, just like somebody who was not a, a vegan would be consuming protein powder. So right there, that says to me, well, that's processed. So I, when I work with athletes, I like to keep them on whole foods as much as possible. So having an adequate amount of plant-based protein is definitely doable without using processed, say, protein powder. It's just work for many people. So when you look at elite athletes, many times they do have people helping them prepare their food or they have, uh, you know, even college athletes will have training tables, uh, professional athletes are served food. And so when you look at the average person who would be attempting to move in that direction, they may not be able to, um, to meet all their protein needs without really changing the way they prepare their food, the types of foods they're eating, uh, their meal prep. And, you know, I think that you have to take something that can be done by an elite athlete and then something that would be done by an average person and figure out for the average person what would be the best way for them to meet their needs. And then if you have anybody who has any type of health problem where they would require, say, repairing their gut or they require repair of their body in any way, 
Sometimes having animal protein provides more of the nutrients as far as the um, iron and various minerals that are in meat that can help a person repair faster. So I think there's a lot of issues that can be explored. Uh, of note, after the movie first came out, I Googled it. And at that time, a publication from the beef industry was the first thing that showed up. And, and their claim and discussion on this topic was that James Cameron's wife is, uh, has a plant, a pea protein product that she's uh, producing. And, you know, that's down. I couldn't find it. Isn't that it? Yeah. And I thought, well, isn't that I, I didn't know that I couldn't validate it. I can't even find that beef industry publication anymore. So, um, you know, you have to look at, you know, everything. I want to see the movie. I will see it. Of course. That's an interesting point you raise is, you know, who's backing these studies? Uh, first of all, because mm-hmm. a lot of times when a study is backed by a certain person, organization, it's going to be found to prove whatever that they're selling or pushing. And that's seen in many different ways. If you compare it to the tobacco industry, um, that was a big deal for a long time. The tobacco mm-hmm. industry would publish um, studies that there's no problem with smoking cigarettes. Obviously, now that's been proven false. But for a long time, that was a narrative being pushed out by the tobacco industry general many documentaries have an agenda and that's why somebody created the documentary now i'm and again i fall back on i i'm not saying uh, i mean I, I think that being vegan is phenomenal if somebody can do that and an elite athlete being vegan that could be great you know um a kid going through puberty being vegan maybe they'll they won't get enough protein and they could have injuries. Kids who go through puberty get injuries when they're in sports, um, when they are eating meat. So we, we dived right in there. And I guess to um, zoom out a little bit, can you explain what functional nutrition therapy is since that's one of the specialties that you are an expert in? Okay. Well, functional nutrition therapy, there's the whole topic of a functional medicine and I'm certified, um, a board certified as a functional medicine practitioner. And basically functional nutrition therapy is like a subset of functional medicine. So functional medicine is looking at how and why an illness occurs. And so if a person comes in with a variety of symptoms, we use this analogy to a tree in the traditional way of practicing medicine is if you have heart disease, you go to a cardiologist. If you have something wrong with your gut, you go to a GI doc. If you have a headache, you might go to a neurologist. Well, functional medicine is looking at, well, what is the root cause of all of these symptoms you have? And it may not be up in the leaves of the tree, it might be down in the roots. And so by addressing the root causes, you can restore a person back to health and it's really individualized and it's 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 science based and it is definitely evidence based and recently there was a publication um a study that was published by the Cleveland Clinic validating some of the um functional medicine principles but what you're looking at is taking each patient individually and designing a, so in the case of functional nutrition therapy, what I do is designing a complete meal plan for them that is going to address their symptoms. So people talk a lot about 
you know, detox and they'll say, you know, they're doing a detox drink, but the body has a liver and the liver can detoxify. So you have phase one and phase two of liver detoxification. You have certain nutrients that would support phase one, certain nutrients that would support phase two. And then you have the need for antioxidants that would support any um, reactive oxygen species that were generated as a result of this detoxification process. So we, and when we're functional medicine, we're looking at detoxification, like, well, what do we, what should the person be consuming because their phase one isn't working properly or they are getting through phase one, but now they're not getting through phase two. It's, it's so much more than saying just drink, um, drink a green drink. And we really look at the complex nature of disease and, find that many of the symptoms the person has can be related to a root cause. We're looking at, you know, their diet, their lifestyle, their, their uh, psychosocial, spiritual, emotional issues, as well as looking at lab work. And there's many functional lab tests that can be done that would um, give a different picture of health. For example, doing a, uh, a stool culture is going to tell what kind of uh, the diversity and number of microorganisms somebody has in their gut, which means we could design a protocol for somebody to give them prebiotic food that would increase the, um, the, the diversity and number of microorganisms or give them probiotic-rich foods uh, based upon what their personal, you know, re- their personal test results would show. So it's interesting because supplementation what is what is your view on supplementation going back to we were talking previously about plant-based diets or being vegan where does supplementation fall in line if somebody is going on one of those kind of diets well again that would be personalized in general my feeling about supplementation is if if our food had in it what we think it ha- is supposed to have in it. I think that people eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, primarily a plant-based diet, wouldn't have a need for supplementation. However, when you look at the depletion of our soil, what we think is in our food is probably not in our food. So, you know, like in other words, we think, you know, prove how much vitamin C is in the exact orange that you're eating. And so, um, when it comes to supplements, whenever people go on a vegan diet, obviously they're going to be consuming a lot more fruits and vegetables. And so the quality of their diet from that standpoint is probably going to be increased. They could have a need for iron, but not necessarily. Again, you know, it, it comes down to what they're eating um, and how they're making their food choices. And that's why I say for many like just lay people, home consumers, going full on vegan can be very challenging. You know, I've gone um, vegan for for a variety of reasons at various points in my life, you know, not necessarily for any reason in particular, but just, you know, we went vegan July once, you know. I would say many of the meals I eat are vegan meals. Many of the meals I prepare are vegetarian meals, and then I do eat meat. So I don't call myself a vegan or a vegetarian, but if I were to make 
say a, a fried rice that was entirely vegan, it, that would be fine. So I think that um, when you look at the supplementation, you, you know, you have to look at the overall quality of the diet. And then now we know with a lot of um, doing the uh, tests for genetic SNPs and whatnot, we can see that there's people who would do better with having certain, um, certain supplements. But in general, a multivitamin is probably a good idea. Um, you go to a lot of people who call themselves functional medicine practitioners, and really all they're doing is selling supplements. So they switched from instead of giving someone a prescription to selling somebody, uh, you know, piles of vitamins. I get people that come in my office and they will have like a shopping bag full of like 20 or 30 different supplements that various practitioners have given them. And, and that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money and taking a supplement is not just going to fix the problem for most people. You and, know? and a lot of these supplements, there's no real regulation. I mean, the FDA can mm. um, go in and, and put a label on it, yeah. but supplements can be released without needing the approval of the FDA. Yes. Well, that's you have a lot on I, the shelf that's not, you don't know yes. what's in it. Yeah, I, but that's what I would say. In that regard, going to a functional medicine practitioner in general, we all use what I say are medical grade or pharmaceutical grade supplements. We usually work with lines that are only available to healthcare practitioners. That's very different than just walking into any store because you can go into a, a discount store like a Walmart and you can get a product that would be just fine or a product that could be adulterated and contaminated. Um, you, when you go to a practitioner of any type, you know, you, you can ask them, you know, wh where do your supplements come from? You know, are they medical grade? And find out what the answer is. I'd like to break away from my chat with Dr. D for a moment to introduce the sponsor of this podcast, CycleBar. If you're in the North Hills, Raleigh area, you have to check out Cycle Bar. Let me tell you, they deliver an intoxicating 45 minutes of high intensity, low impact, full body workout set to a killer playlist. The Cycle Theater is state of the art with incredible sound and lighting systems. Ride statistics are delivered both on and off of the bike. They include average and max power, distance, RPM, and estimated calories burned. Classes are led by motivating and inspirational Cycle Star certified instructors who deliver classes for riders of all fitness levels. Everything you need is provided shoes, towels, water, fruit, self combination lockers, showers, and even aromatherapy. Just bring yourself to the best boutique fitness experience in Raleigh and enjoy. Just to switch gears a little bit, since we've been talking about plant based and, and veganism. What is your take on a ketogenic diet? <laughs> You're getting all of them in here today. The <laughs> ketogenic diet, this is what I think. A ketogenic diet is a diet that's like 95, 90% fat designed for people with uh, neurological or seizure, seizure disorders. What you have many, so then you have variations of it, which are like, um, people call them like an Atkins type diet, a modified Atkins, a very low carbohydrate diet, if you will. And that is different than a, a, a true ketogenic diet. So, um, I think that for many people, avoiding simple carbohydrates and limiting them is going to have a positive effect on their metabolism. You know, when you look at a ketogenic diet, what you're talking about now is 
basically the opposite of like a vegan type diet, where people are consuming larger portions of meat. I think there's a many, uh, many people who have insulin resistance, any kind of metabolic dysregulation, limiting carbohydrates will help bring their blood sugar into control. And so then they feel better, they're able to um, feel satisfied, and they can be successful at losing weight. But when you look at overall, what would be the healthiest type of lifestyle, it would be plant-based. It would have some amounts of meat, fish, or poultry in it that were super clean, meaning, you know, no hormones, no antibiotics, no um, GMO in their feed, that they would be pasture-raised, humanely slaughtered in small amounts to accompany the primarily plant-based diet. So, you know, then that being said, sometimes having a low-carbohydrate diet would be the best diet to recommend to somebody when they come in, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. Everybody is different in the way that someone can stick to a diet, I'm sure is also important. I mean, isn't it, doesn't it boil down to more of a lifestyle change than just a diet? Like what's the benefit than for two weeks to lower your uh, cholesterol or blood pressure, possibly by cutting out sodium or whatever the case may be, but really changing your lifestyle ultimately would be the goal. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you look at lifestyle, you're talking about what I talk to people about when they come in, I'll talk about their diet and their habits. We really dig in deep to what a person ate, what was their history, what did they grow up eating? You know, uh, people who had antibiotics when they were a kid can really have destroyed their gut and we might need to do a whole protocol to restore their microbiome now. Um, what, who prepares their food? How much food do they buy? You know, I talk to people about cooking food and then there's cooking food and then there's assembling food that's already pre-prepared, like uh, buying some frozen vegetables in a jar of tomato sauce and then making, serving that with pasta is really assembling food. Um, And so getting people back to more preparing their own food and then those lifestyle pieces, how much activity do they have? Um, and we talk about the uh, NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is what we used to do all the time. People raked their own yards, they cleaned their own house, they they cut their own lawns. And now there's more of we move to these lifestyles where either people can afford to pay for someone to do those services for them or they're living in apartment facilities where that is not part of their um their lifestyle. So no, people don't walk to work. Um, and so that, that lifestyle activity is a piece of it, but then also the fitness end of it, you know, preservation of muscle mass, um, making sure that as people are aging, they're focusing not just on their body fat percent and how they look, but their muscle mass to keep themselves more metabolically active Then. There's the stress piece, you know, are people meditating that we're learning more and more about the mind body connection and the value for individuals of, you know, getting that connection and being more present with themselves. And then there's um, this, you know, the meditation relates to the whole stress response. So it's really more than just 
you know, go on a diet and do this. That's not what happens when somebody would come in to see me. You know, it wouldn't, it would be just very comprehensive. Uh, their sleep wake cycles. You know, I had somebody talking to me the other day about waking like clockwork at 3.30 a.m. And so trying to figure out with her what was the reason for that happening. I think one of the pieces in the reasons that I wanted to cover uh, the plant-based and keto uh, diet, they're both extremes, right? I mean, if you're doing one, you're not doing the other. So exactly, that helps me move into our next question, which is, you know, we are going into the holidays. People are around an increased amount of food as well as many food choices. So what advice do you have for people um, during the holidays to keep their waistline in check? Um, maybe somebody that's not on a ketogenic diet or a plant-based diet because they're probably going to stick with what they're doing. But for the general person that, you know, maybe over the holidays gains five to 10 pounds um, over the course of two months, two or three months, what, what advice do you have for them? Well, there's a lot that a person can look at. The first thing I think is making sure to maintain whatever type of exercise or activity program because the the amount we expend is you know how we can balance off what we may have eaten in excess i also think it's really important to mention when you look at making and preparing your own food this time of year it's even more important to be preparing your own food because it, the problem with what we're eating is usually not what people may put into food that they've prepared at home in other words if a person is making soup at home they're making it with vegetables with stock they're cutting it up themselves they're putting the seasonings in if you buy soup in a can it has much more sodium than would ever enter your um your your recipe that you prepared at home. The other issue is sugar. When you look at the amount of sugar that's in the typical American diet and where it's found, it's found like in pasta sauces, the new food label notes the amount of added sugar. And so anything that's pre-prepared, even like when you go for fast food, the French fries, the hamburger buns, they have sugar in them for coloring purposes and for flavor. And so if you make a pie for Thanksgiving and you want to put some sugar in it, that's that sugar right there is not the demon in the American diet. It's the sugar that comes in all those manufactured foods that people cannot account for. And I shouldn't say they cannot. People don't. Um, you know, reading labels and being intimately aware is something that I tell uh, dietetic students this all the time. This is what we do because this is our field. We think it's no big deal when we go to the grocery store to read, you know, the label of seven different pasta sauces because we wanted to buy pasta sauce. <clears throat> the average consumer does not want to put in that effort and nor do they even have the discernment to decide which, you know, if one has more sodium and one has more sugar. Mm -hmm. which one do they pick? And are they even aware to do this? Is there right, enough awareness exactly. about going into a store and looking at pasta sauce? I mean, most people probably think, all right, I'm staying away from candy. So right. All right, and, and ice cream and those things that are typically heavy in sugar, but they're not thinking about the hidden right. sugars in even barbecue sauce, for instance. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's more, it's also awareness, right? Oh, that's a hundred percent awareness. And, um, you know, it's interesting when I get clients, I'll get people who 
have never read a food label to people who, I mean, they've examined and they've looked at everything and they've tried everything and they, they're really an advocate for their own health, but they just can't figure out one piece of it. Um, but yes, the average consumer feels of a comfort level of buying food in a grocery store. You know, many, many people are aware that fast food is not an ideal choice, but there are some people with um, lower resources um, and environments where they do not have that complete understanding that the fast food is not necessarily food, it's manufactured stuff. Most people go to the grocery store and think, well, these are all ingredients. They don't look at the packaged foods in the middle of the aisle as potential. Um, you know, sources uh, for excess fat, sodium, and uh, sugar. And when you look at the excess, you know, fat, it's more because of the type of fat that it is, that it wouldn't be, you know, like uh, grass-fed Kerrygold butter or extra virgin olive oil, um, but it could be trans fats or just uh, processed oils that are heat processed. Um, or the type of sugar is not, when you make cookies, it's a cup of sugar when you buy some of these packaged processes, it's the high fructose corn syrup. So yeah, so looking at um, th that discernment, I think the closer your food is to the natural state as possible, the better you can feel about eating it. Yeah. So for the holidays with folks cooking up these great big feasts, like they like to do, they're going to have family over. Your recommendation for them would be to stick to sources of food that closely resemble how they would be in nature then? Yeah. Well, actually what I'm saying is the not the holiday food the, the holiday meal should be amazing it should be something that people gather together and really enjoy and it brings memories and we don't want to contaminate that by making some sort of you know bastardized version of like a delicious meal it's those other meals that you know like if you have thanksgiving on thursday and then everybody's together still on friday well that means monday through wednesday make your own food make sure those are the days that um maybe those are the days you elect to have these vegan meals and make some um you know some vegan chili or you know meatless chili or stir fried vegetables or eat a big salad and then that's how you i think at the holidays you balance it out by really um focusing on controlling what you can. Um, cause at the holiday, you don't want, you just don't want to ruin it. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> no, no. You want to enjoy that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's important to have this conversation that way yeah. people are aware because yeah. awareness, it seems like with anything is key because if you're not aware, you can't make the change. You can't start to make the change. So if you're, if you're more aware, then you can start to ask some of those important questions. Yeah. Okay. So what is more important, uh, low sodium or low sugar? If there's right. low sugar, then did they increase the fat to make this taste yeah. better? Cause that oftentimes yeah. is the case too, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then it's a lesser quality of, of fat, but you know, going back to that, um, the holiday dinner. Also, only eat the foods that people made. Don't eat the foods that come pre-prepared. You know, like, so if somebody buys uh, the, the pie and the, you know, from the grocery store and the cranberry sauce out of the can and everything's all pre-prepared, stay away from those food items. Just making it in-house, adding your yeah. own sugar, maybe even using a supplement. Like, uh, personally, I've switched to using stevia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that tastes, for me, very similar to sugar. Right. Well, even when you make something like an apple pie, it doesn't have to be super sweet because you have the sugar from the apple anyway. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of foods you can reduce the amount of sugar in. But but honestly, it more comes from those things that are, are prepared outside of a person's kitchen that are problematic. So in-house, you can watch what you're putting into it. Yes, exactly. How did you make this? And then that's a very rich time around the holidays, too, is to teach all these younger people how to cook, you know. What did you put in that? You know, people need to know how to make their own pies. You know, you don't buy pie crust, you make pie crust. Uh, that's a good point too. And I think around the holidays is important to spend time together and yeah. cooking a meal around the holidays can really bring people together as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Cooking is really a tradition that we have to continue to pass down. And now of course you can go on YouTube and find, you know, like all these amazing cooking videos. But back in the day, you learned cooking from the person in the house who cooked. And, you know, many of these recipes, I, oh boy, you know, both of my grandmothers have um, passed. And I, in the family, was the recipient of both of their cookbooks, which are, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, books like journals where they wrote their recipes and tucked in recipes from the newspaper, maybe had a recipe that said, you know, Joanne's uh, fruit cake or something. And I am the recipient of those. And so I can keep alive within my family, all of those traditional foods that go back to when my parents were kids, what they ate. And um, I think that kind of tradition, passing that on is just, it's beautiful. It makes what a family is, um, you know, the, those traditions we have around holidays. Actually, I took a picture the other day of pumpkin bread. We make um, every year after Halloween, we'll take our jack-o'-lantern and we would cut it up and we would bake it and I would take the pumpkin from it and, you know, make pumpkin bread and then freeze some of it to be used for the pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving and pumpkin bread again at Thanksgiving. Um, and my daughter, she moved out, so she needed the recipe. So I just, you know, took a picture of it and sent it to her. And it was just really, um, you know, she sent me the picture of her pumpkin bread it was beautiful it's just keeping the tradition alive yeah definitely that's what the holidays are about especially thanksgiving yeah um, you know, giving thanks for the people that have helped us become who we are and to carry those traditions on i think is a really rich way to celebrate um, the holidays so as we move in here to our final questions i was wondering if you could share with us uh, something that you've recently learned whether it was from a book you've read or a documentary you've watched, um, what's something you've recently learned? Could you share that with us? Something I've recently learned. Well, um, I am learning a lot. I've been studying and reading articles, trying to learn a lot about the, the polyvagal theory, um, which I recommend you look up. I'm not articulate enough yet on that to talk about it, but what I have learned is a technique for reducing um, stress. So if you go to the uh, HeartMath Institute online, they, um, they really talk a lot about what's called coherence and having coherence with your, your uh, brain and your heart and having um, your, your enteric nervous system, which is in your gut, is connected to your um, central nervous system. Uh, and there's, it's bi-directional, meaning they're sending signals in both directions. Uh, so when you are under stress, one way to get your body into coherence is when you breathe in to imagine you're breathing in through the top of your head. And when you breathe out, imagine you're 
breathing out through your chest. So now you your lower chakras are the ones that are more related to survival. Um, uh, you know, like uh, survival of, of you as a species with eating and uh, sexuality in your upper chakras. If you bring yourself up into those, your heart is a very powerful um, radiator of energy. And so if you're focusing on bringing energy in, you know, light and love through the top of your head and exhaling it out through your chest, not only do you bring yourself into coherence, but you'll find that in your own system of, you know, your family, your life, that you can, that energy you radiate will affect those around you. Sure. And, you know, that really raises uh, the last question for this episode of Holistic Doses. How do you deal with stress? Well, I meditate daily. So I work out every day. And then after I work out, I have a little, not a, quite a meditation, more like I put my, get my, it's like an energy thing where I align all my chakras and I focus them and try to get them into alignment. And then usually later in the day, I will do a full on meditation where I sit there and really um, try to connect and work on my energetic self. I find if I do that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, then I can handle stressful situations better without immediately feeling my blood pressure rise. And I think that's the key for, for me. See, for some people, if they're in a stressful position, like a lot of people, many people at work, things just happen. So getting the body into a state where they don't feel that stress is, is an important aspect of that daily meditation, but then also having techniques to deal with, um, you know, when stress does come up to refocus and get the body um, back. So I try to do it on a daily basis. And right now I, I'm in a, a phase of my life where I don't, you know, I'm not in a work environment where stressful things happen. So um, it's very, it's been easier lately to keep things in control, but it, it's, it's very difficult for many people. You know, we're just not raised thinking that we need to be meditating and uh, dealing with stress and relaxing and, um, you know, feeling the power of our own energy and our love. That's just not part of most Americans were raised with. And so I think that's, you know, another piece to the whole puzzle of, you know, when you look at integrative medicine, it's really helping people integrate that part, that energetic part into their, their life, you know, acknowledging it, understanding it, honoring it. And people are more distracted too, with technology being the way it is. We have so much data being thrown at us that it's, it almost becomes an addiction with technology, mm -hmm. our phones, uh, with emails going off to really sit back and put those things away and sit there in silence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's very important. And around you know, this time, there's yeah. a, there's apps though. There's apps for meditation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't necessarily have to put the technology away. You can um, make the technology adapt to what yeah. you're trying to accomplish. 
Yeah, actually, that one of the apps I I use in the morning, it's a uh, music, and you can program it for however many minutes you want, and what kind of uh, vibration you want to promote, and then you can just put it on for ten minutes, and you know. So I use an app to help me with that, and it's amazing, you know, the Pavlovian response after I've been doing it now for. I don't know, six, eight months or so, the second that music comes on, I'm like getting right into the zone. I don't even need to try so much anymore. So it's almost unconscious. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, hopefully no one feels that stressed out during these holiday times that are coming up. Dr. D, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise, um, especially around this time that people are obviously cooking these foods and are being stressed out. It's important that someone like yourself can share insight uh, and bring awareness to some of these issues. Well, I was happy to be here. I really appreciate that you um, that you asked me. I think when it comes to the holidays and, and stress and making food choices, I think that um, people do their best. They try to do their best. And, you know, I think that's a, a big part of it too, is to be compassionate towards towards yourself for making the best decisions with the information you have and i think it's i think it's terrific that you're that bringing awareness is part of um one of your goals for putting these podcasts together because you're absolutely correct people once people are aware that's the first step for more information regarding dr d check out holistic.com as well as drdnutrition.com remember if you like share and subscribe on spotify itunes and stitcher This is your host, Eddie Kane, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Holistic Doses.